Good evening. Man, I never get used to this pulpit. It's like driving a Cadillac. You know, I keep looking for the pedals back here. Um, go ahead and turn your Bible to the book of Romans and just hold tight there because we're going to be looking through that book uh, this evening. Um, I just want to say hey, every, t- every opportunity I-, I-, I get, I just want to thank you, church, for supporting us as we were on deputation getting ready to go to the field of England. And we are your missionaries, your missionaries to the country of England. And there's only one church that really can truly say that, and that's First Baptist Church. And we thank you for your prayers and your support. Um, there are some little bitty cards back there that say London that have our info on them. And if you don't have one, grab one, put it somewhere where you can see it. And every time you see it, pray for us. And soon we'll have some bigger prayer cards that will have our picture and so forth and so on on them. And it, I think it's a, a little ironic, kind of neat, that I'm going to be preaching on missions tonight, and I'm here preaching on missions because our pastor is in Romania on a missions trip. And I think that's uh, very unique and very uh, interesting. But every opportunity I get now, I want to focus on the need for missions and the call to missions uh, for all believers. <clears throat> I um, Recently, there's a really neat website called the Joshua Project, and you can go on it and kind of get statistics and see uh, what is going on in the world of Christianity around the world. Uh, you get a lot of neat facts, a lot of neat info. And <clears throat> on there, as well as you can find on other sites, It talks about how many people in this world are without Christ. Let's start, though, with how many people are in the world today. There's roughly 7 billion people. I don't know about you, but I can't get my mind around that. I can barely get my mind around a million people. Okay? Um, But 7 billion people. And roughly a third of those claim to be Christian. And we know that many of those who claim Christ have never met Christ. Okay, But let's just say all of, of those people, a third of those people, believe in Christ. <clears throat> well, what does that leave? It leaves about 4 billion people who are still unbelievers and without Christ. And the statistics show that half of those billion unbelievers... About half of those have no access to the gospel. In fact, there are 6,600 unreached people groups. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers out here to you, but what I'm trying to prove is that there are a lot of people, an endless supply of people that, number one, don't know Christ, and number two, may not even have access to the gospel. Now, when I said half of, of 4 billion uh, people, um, which is two billion, easy math, half of four is two. About two billion of those unbelievers have no access to the gospel. Think about how many Razorback stadiums it would take to hold two billion people. I mean, it holds roughly 75,000, okay? So roughly 
10 stadiums would get you a, a billion. So you, you do the math. There's so many people worldwide without even the access to the gospel. And our need is great. Now, <clears throat> most of you know uh, Dr. David Platt. Uh, he's written some books recently that we're familiar with. Uh, Radical is a very popular book. And um, I heard him tell a story one time that it just continues to move me. Now, Dr. Platt, he, he's a pastor in a church in Birmingham, but he also does a lot of mission work. And he, he's very mission-minded, and he goes over to evangelize and preach the gospel and lead uh, the lost to Jesus Christ. And in so doing, there are churches around the country that support him in that. Not full-time, but they'll raise money and give him money to do works, to uh, pay for Bibles, plane tickets, so forth and so on. And so because of that, much like a missionary on furlough, he'll, he'll occasionally go around and visit these churches that support him. And there was one particular church that he visited, and he came in early, he and his wife, on a Saturday, and the pastor invited him over to his house. And when he got there, the pastor was there, all the church staff, and all the deacons. And he said they began to talk about family and ministry and, and life in general. And then it, 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 the conversation went to the uh, work that he's doing worldwide, trying to reach the unreached people groups like Muslims and uh, communistic closed countries and so forth and so on. And after they'd had their dessert and their, their drinking coffee and having this discussion, he said a very shocking thing happened. This deacon, and I'm not, I'm not getting on the deacons, okay? But this deacon, he leans forward like this and he says, you know, David, I really appreciate all the work you're doing. I think it's great. But you know what? I just assume God send all Muslims to hell and just be done with it. And even saying that, this breaks my heart. That, a, that someone who calls himself a Christian would be like that. And maybe you never said that, but maybe you said, why don't God just take all the homosexuals and just send them on to hell? Or why don't God take all of these or all of those to hell? It gets worse, if you can imagine that. The next morning, I mean, Dr. Platt said he was so distraught driving home, he had to pull over. And he's like, how am I going to preach on missions to this, to this church? And so he, he goes to church, he gets up, and he preaches on reaching the unreached people groups. And this guy's in the, in the pew staring right back at him. And when he finishes the sermon, talking about taking the gospel to the nations, the pastor of the church got up and told David, Hey, David, I'm so happy for you and the work you're doing, and we're going to keep supporting you so we don't have to, so we don't have to go. We, we're glad for you to go, and we're going to keep giving you money so that we don't have to go. It gets worse. The pastor went on to say, in, the, in, a, in a bragging fashion, he said, you know, I used to pastor a church somewhere, and we had this missionary that was uh, a missionary to Korea. And he came in, and he preached a sermon. He said, you know, I got up after that, and I said, we're about to take an offering, and if you don't give to this guy, I'm going to pray that God send your children there to help him. And just landmine after landmine after landmine. And he said, you know what? 
Those people gave. We got that guy a laptop and a washer and dryer and on and on and on and on. He was so proud of himself that his threats worked. Now, I'm going to tell you, that is not a view of missions that is fueled by a true understanding of the gospel. Wouldn't you agree? I hope you do. If we have the gospel, but we are not passionate about taking it to the nations, then we should question whether we actually believe it or not. It is impossible to embrace the gospel and keep it from the world. And you know if you interview enough atheists, they will say, I will never believe in Jesus Christ. I will never believe in God. Because if the message, and you've heard this before, because if the message is true, Christians' lives don't reflect it. And if it were true, their lives would reflect it. And then I might buy into it. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Are, and be, feel free to answer. I'm a ways up here, so you might have to shout. Are we all sinners in need of a Savior? Absolutely. Do you believe people will die and spend eternity in hell without Christ? Yes. You know, we're right, I'm right in the fact that love does not win, right? Uh, there's a famous, you know, popular book that came out recently by Pastor Rob Bell. He says, eventually, we'll all be in heaven, and hell is not forever. And I pray for his soul, because that is not an accurate view of the Bible. What will happen to people who have never heard the gospel? If they never hear the gospel, they can't respond to it, and they will die and go to hell. In Romans, Paul's underlining reason. Now, we love, a lot of us love Romans. Boy, it's deep theologically. We like to roll our sleeves up and get into Romans. There's so much there. Some of us are intimidated by Romans at times. But the underlying reason for Paul writing the book of Romans was to ignite and call the church in Rome to missions. If you read the book of Romans... With that in mind, it will, it will really change your perception. I want us to see what we believe, what the gospel really says, what we really believe about the gospel. And let's see, and you see the title of the message tonight, we'll see, let's see that proper gospel theology necessitates urgent missiology. What does that mean? What is theology? Theology is what we believe. If we say people will die and go to hell without the gospel, then they will die and go to hell without the gospel, without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. What is missiology? Missiology is how we do the work of evangelism. Everything that incorporates our, our idea of missions. In our church, we support missionaries that go abroad. We support missionaries that stay locally. We support local things. It, it's all-encompassing. Everything we think about missions and our missions program is missiology, okay? It's the world of missions. And so, if we have proper gospel theology, it, it necessitates, it mandates urgent, right now, missiology. And as we walk through Romans 1, 2, 3, and 10, we're going to see why this is true. Now, number one, <clears throat> Romans, I'm going to be um, reading a lot of Scripture tonight. Um, and I'm going to have to go through it. So keep your pen handy and write it down. You can go back and study a little further. Romans 1, 18 through 20. First of all, 
God's revelation is universal. God's revelation is universal. In, In verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. There are two types of revelation. And it's very, very, very important that we always keep this in mind. First of all, there is universal revelation, and that's what is being spoken of in Romans 1, 18 through 20. That, <clears throat> have you ever looked at a sunset and, and, and thought, wow, way to go, God. You know, man, that's awesome. You know, when my children were born, I thought, how does, you know, how does God take nothing and create something that's so complex Not even the most brilliant uh, computer scientists can recreate it artificially. And we see things all around the world in nature that tell us there is something bigger than ourselves. Do you know that's why there are countless world religions that point to something? Because we know God has programmed us to know that there is something greater than ourselves. God is revealed in creation. And that is his universal uh, revelation. There's also a specific revelation. Uh, namely, we, we, there was a specific revelation in Jesus Christ, his appearance. Okay? There are specific revelations through uh, the prophets speaking the word of God. Our Bibles are a specific revelation. It tells us exactly that God is real, he is true, he sent his son to die for us, he created the heavens and the earth. So with the Bible, we now take that universal revelation and we can specifically understand what it means. That it didn't didn't just happen. You know, the world is not attached to the back of a big turtle walking around. We know specifically um, that there is a God and what's going on with him, okay? Here we are reminded in this verse of God's universal revelation. And it says that... All men are guilty before God of their sin and their rejection of Him because all men have been universally revealed um, that there is a God. Now, some would say, well, if a man never hears the gospel, how is it fair that he go to hell? Well, Romans 1, 18 through 20 says why. That's not me. That's the Word of God saying that. Well, let me ask you, what happens to the innocent man in the middle of the jungle who has never heard the gospel? Does he go to hell? No, he goes to heaven. Am I making you nervous? There are no innocent men. The innocent man in the jungle does not exist. Romans 1, 18-20 tells us that. That they are guilty before, uh, before God. If we don't send out the gospel, that sinful man in the jungle will never hear it, never respond to it. There are no innocent people. Brother James made that very clear this morning. And 
we have to, to, to use that, that idea to be passionate about taking the Word of God to all the nations. God's revelation is universal. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. There is no loophole. Now, number two, man's depravity is terrible. Romans 1.21. And I'm kind of piggybacking on what was said this morning. If you ever thought for a moment that you were good enough to go to heaven, let me just fix that real quick. Look at verse 21. And we're going to read through verse 32. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the Creator rather than the the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural functions for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that, they, that those who practice such things are unworthy are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give heartily approval to those who practice them. Brothers and sisters, if you think that you are somehow good enough to go to heaven, that you have swallowed a lie. This scripture is not talking about some far-off group. It's talking about us, mankind, our wholesale rejection of everything that is good and holy. When we know the right thing to do, we don't do it. We sin. If left to our own devices, we would be completely reparate, immoral, living an ungodly lifestyle. So, there was no one without an excuse, and there was no one good enough to go to heaven. One sin ruins it for everybody, for all of us. Sin is not just a little bad, and there are no loopholes. We, <laughs> I, I want you to think about this for a second. When, when you feel puffed up, go to Romans 1.21 and do a little reading. And let it bring perspective. If you are saved, look at what God has saved you from. You. If you are lost, accept that this is who you are. And that you are in need of salvation. God's revelation is universal. We are without excuse. Man's depravity is terrible. Number two, uh, we are all sinners. And number three, all people stand infinitely guilty by a holy God. All people stand infinitely guilty by a holy God.
Romans 2. Romans 2, the first two verses. Therefore you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So if you didn't get it in the last point, here's another reminder. That we stand infinitely guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. James tells us that in in verse uh, 10 of chapter 2, For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. If, If salvation was a baseball game, you'd only get one strike. And you'd be out. And really, if you really think about it, theologically, we don't even get up to the plate. We're already out before we get up there. And we, we, we attributed that to, to Adam and his sin. And um, one, of, one of the things that really worries me in this world, especially in the Christian world, is the idea of, being, of a seeker is very prevalent in ministry and churches. That, that people are seeking God. They're seeking God. And we just need to, we need to tell them. Well, we do need to tell them. But no man seeks God. We heard that this morning. Romans 10. No man, no woman of their own will seeks after God. The Bible says that no one seeks after God. No one. So if we base our missiology, our missions work, on waiting for people to come and hear the gospel, we're going to be waiting a long time. Let me give you a story from our trip in England. There was a church called uh, Rehoboth Baptist Church, and it sits at the end of High Street in Brumley. Brumley is not only a town, it's a borough. And the High Street is kind of like Branson Landing. You have all these shops, and people walk up and down. And they're in this great location. But the church consists of the elderly pastor and his wife. The only other family that comes is his son and his family, but his son and his family and his grandchildren are all unbelievers. And they come to support dad as long as he's going to be in the pulpit. Their idea of evangelism is they built this nice little box on the outside of the wall of the church. It's, it's wood frame, and it has glass in it. There's a, there's a, I think maybe my memory serves, there's like some blue carpet in there, and there's a, there's a stand. And on that stand is an open Bible. And every day, the pastor goes out, and he unlocks the door, and he turns the page, closes it, and he locks it up. They're hoping that some seeker will come by and read the Bible and be saved. Can that happen? I'm not saying it can't, but are they going to be waiting a long time? Absolutely. Their gospel theology does not meet their missiology. We have to understand that we all stand infinitely guilty before a holy God, and there is only one way to cover our sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this is number four. It's very similar. Number three is all people stand infinitely guilty by a holy God. Number four, all people stand eternally condemned before a wrathful God. All people stand 
uh, eternally condemned before a wrathful God. In Romans 2, uh, verse 5, Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of, um, of righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, and to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and priests to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Okay, we stand infinitely guilty. One sin, and we're guilty for ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And there is no amen. It's just ever. Okay? Secondly, because of that guilt, we are condemned by God. To what? Hell. Hell is forever. Forever. Do you know that the, the, um, the theology of hell is one of the most difficult things to swallow? I myself, I don't want to believe it, but I have to because that's the Word of God. There is no out. There is no exit. There is no relief. When you go to hell, after a million, million, million days, you've just begun your torment. And you say, wow, isn't God loving Yes. You know his love has no meaning if he does not hate sin. It's like if you liked everybody, you don't like anybody. You know, if, if everything is true, then nothing is false. There has to be judgment if there is love. And we have to grasp that. The reason that we, we spend eternity in hell for rejecting Jesus Christ and, and his blood to cover our sins is because one sin is not just against your neighbor. It's not just against this person. It's against a God who is holy, wonderful, mighty, omnipotent. I mean, on and on and on and on and on we could go all night long describing God. And one sin against that holy God, the punishment is death forever. You understand what I'm saying? It's real. It lasts forever. And He is righteous and just to do it. Hell is eternal. One sin against God is so terrible that it's worth an eternity of punishment in hell. Do you know what that says? That tells us how great God is. That's the God that you serve. That one act against Him deserves an eternity in hell. You know, when a man takes another man's life, the punishment is either death or the loss of freedom. We say that's just and right. So too is the eternity in hell for one sin against a holy, wonderful God. Now, are you, are, you, are you really depressed at this point? I mean, between the two of us, man, we laid it on you today. Man, what if that was it? What if that was all there was? Thankfully, it's not. Let me go back over these. God's revelation is universal. Man's depravity is terrible. All people stand infinitely guilty by a holy God. All people stand eternally condemned before a wrathful God. But, God, number five, God has made a way for salvation through the atonement of Christ. Can we say amen? 
Man. I mean, do you really think about that? God made a way for us sinners who deserve hell to spend an eternity with God in heaven. Man. Romans 3.21 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a, as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation of His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. Think about this. Imagine that you're standing in front of a dam that is 10,000 miles wide, 10,000 miles deep, and 10,000 miles long. And you're standing there, maybe at a little river, you're fishing, and all of a sudden you hear cracks. And I'm told that that's not what you want to hear at the bottom of a dam. And the cracks get louder and louder, and then, you know, there's uh, water squirting out here and here and here and here and here. And you know <clears throat> there is no way that your feet can get you out of there quick enough because it's 10,000 miles long and wide and deep. When that water hits you, it, will dis- it won't just drown you, it will disintegrate you because of the weight. And th- there's no way for you to escape that. And just as the water is about to sweep you away, a gigantic bottomless cavern or cavern opens up and drinks up every drop of that water. And that is what Christ did for you and me on the cross. Sin was going to wipe us out. Send us to hell eternally and punishment. And Christ, He paid that debt. And it was like it was never there. You know, some preachers say that the Father God couldn't look upon the Son because those mean soldiers were, were hurting Him. And He had to turn His face away. I just can't look at it anymore. Well, that's ridiculous. The Father couldn't look at the Son because He couldn't bear to see our sin on His back. And the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is intimate and, and, and has been there forever. And the Father had to turn his face away so that he would not see our sin upon his Son. That's what Christ did for us. God has decreed, has made a way for salvation through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. God has also decreed that the means of salvation is to be faith in Christ. It's not just the atonement of Christ, but we have to have faith in Christ to take part in that atoning work. Romans 3.26 For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The means of salvation is Jesus. There is no other way to be saved than Christ. Do we believe that? Amen? Oh yeah, that's, that's one of those that we can really amen. Amen! Yes. 
Sunday school answer, Jesus. Yes, we believe it, we believe it, we believe it. But you know, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Uh, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't say that you could be good enough, that you could do a lot of works. He decreed, he said, this would be the means of salvation, and it is Christ. Christ will atone for the sins of mankind. Can you imagine what that must have been like when they were, <clears throat> when, when God was creating mankind, and as he's creating life, he realizes it's going to cost a life? But there is no other way. There is no other way. God has ordained, number seven, God has ordained his church to proclaim the gospel to all peoples. Think about that. Folks, I'm sure you've been in agreement with everything I've said. Yes, we believe this is true. You don't accept Christ, you go to hell. Hell is forever. Um, God is just. Yes, man, yeah, that's what I believe. Hey, I'm a Baptist. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. And then that funnels into the fact that, yes, we believe that God has called the church. And the church is not the building, it's the people. You know, you remember when you were a little kid? Here's the church and the steeple, and open it up, it's all the people, and that's really the church. We understand that. And Paul says in Romans 10, you know this passage, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Think about all those verbs in reverse. We are sent to preach. We preach so that they may hear. They hear and they believe. When they believe, then they answer the call. And that call is to take the gospel to the nations and it starts over again and over again and over again. Do you know, maybe you never thought about it this way, but do you know that, that there is no plan B? There's no plan B. The church is plan A in the proclamation of the gospel. If we believe all those things that we said we believe, people are going to go to hell without Christ and so forth and so on, then doesn't that necessitate urgency? Do we have any time to waste? Do we? Do we waste an astronomical amount of time caring about what kind of car we're going to buy, what kind of this we're going to buy, what we're going to eat, where we're going to live? And I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but they're not the most important. You know, a lot of people, well, I talked a little bit about this uh, in Sunday school this morning. A lot of people are just wringing their hands. You know, what's God's will for my life? You know, what, what am I supposed to be doing? Oh, if he would just tell me, then I would just do it. What, what am I supposed to do? The will of God has always been the same. It is to take the gospel to the nations. Amen? That's the last thing Jesus left us. Now his purposes and how we carry out his will may be different for each and every one of us. But don't sit there and say, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. 
if the, God, if the will of God for our life, and it is for all of us, is to proclaim the gospel to the nations, then everything that we do in our life ought to be so that we can do that. And I don't mean that every one of us has to pack up and go overseas because America is a nation, right? It says take the gospel to the nations, and America is a nation, okay? But we have to have that right here, like the proverbial carrot in front of the mule, or the, you know, and we're, we're going forward, reaching for that goal, reaching for that goal. Let me ask you a couple of, or make, a, make some statements. The good news of the gospel is only good if it gets there. Foreign missions is not an option, okay? You may not be sent to live overseas, but you ought to be going and stretching yourself and going and taking the gospel to the mission field here and everywhere. You know, Dr. Platt, he is a full-time pastor, and you would think that he could just sit on his laurels and say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. He's a good example of someone who is still fervently following and taking the gospel to the nations. Foreign missions is not a program. It's a way of life. How could we ever think that we could not uh, proclaim the gospel? We are created for global and worldwide missions. Doesn't Acts 1.8 tell us to take it everywhere? You don't need a tingly feeling to answer God's call, to follow His will. If you're waiting for a lightning bolt, you're going to be waiting a long time. I wonder if we are praying, actively praying, that our children would be raised up to take the gospel to Southeast Asia, to, um, to places like Vietnam and other places. Are we praying that our children take the gospel to the Muslim world? Are we praying that, that God would, would send them to the dark places in the world that don't have the gospel? Are we asking God, are we supposed to go there? And if not, what are we, what are we supposed to be doing? We don't have time to play games. If, if this is a wake-up call for you tonight, don't leave this place without re- repenting of, of not being global-minded, not being gospel-minded. I know recently in this church there has been a, a slow swell of people taking to heart the call to evangelism. I see it and I hear about it. Get on board with that. Whether God calls you away or He calls you across the street, He's calling everybody. Everybody. If you don't think I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. He's, he's calling everybody. Folks, I have a burden in my heart that there ought to be more missionaries answering the call out of this church. I think we can count on one hand how many people have come out of this church and go on the foreign field. I'm not saying that's the, that's the pinnacle. I'm just saying I want us to ask the question, is God calling me? And if he is, answer the call. You only have this life. And what are you going to say to God? I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Somebody else can do it.
There is no plan B. And we must answer the call. And we must not let anything get in the way of taking the gospel. We were uh, in the ministry of uh, Brother Don Elmore after our church plant closed in Northwest Arkansas. And he said this. He said it once. He said it a thousand times. He says, everybody, everybody, and he's meaning believers, everybody ought to struggle with the call to missions. He was meaning foreign missions. Everybody ought to struggle and answer the call to take the gospel to the nations. I don't know where you are tonight. Um, If you're lost here tonight, if you've never... Made, had, have, don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Romans, where we read, that, that is all of us. And apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we will all die and go to hell. And if you haven't trusted Christ, realize your need for, for salvation, do that tonight. Don't leave this place without responding to the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer here tonight, and you have not obeyed God and His global call to take the gospel to the nations, repent and turn away from that because you're not headed in the right direction. Turn around and head to the place that God wants you to go, wherever that may be, whatever that may be. If I can help you in any way, if you're struggling with your call or what God wants you to do or whatever, come and talk to me. I want to help you. But just decide today to make that change. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, many of us, including myself, many, many times, we need to ask forgiveness for not answering your call, for thinking that it's a choice and not a commandment. Forgive us where we failed you in that area. Forgive us for hoarding the gospel. Lord, I pray that this church right here would send many to local and foreign missions, that we would all be passionate about your call and take the gospel to people on our street, to people in the Dollar General, to people in McDonald's, to people on the street, and never stop until the whole world hears. God, help us to... To, be, to do what we say we believe. To help it all match. And forgive us when we fail you. Lord, there may be someone here tonight who needs your salvation. And I pray that they would yield to the Holy Spirit. Lord, if we need repentance because we haven't done your will, let's get on our knees tonight. And let's get right with you today. We're not promised that we'll even make it home tonight. With that knowledge, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do? Lord, help us. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.